Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast, downloaded over half a million times in over 145 countries and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 187 of the Australian Hiker Podcast, and in today's episode, we talk about the role that trail volunteers play in both the building and maintaining of many of our well-known trails. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice, so that each episode is available as soon as it's published, and if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. While many of our hiking trails are built and maintained by our state and federal park services, they don't do this job alone, with trail volunteers providing a unique and much-needed contribution that we as hikers may never see. In today's episode, we talk to some of these volunteer organisations to find out about their contributions to maintaining and even building hiking trails around the country and look at the opportunities to get involved. In our first interview, we talked to Melanie Schoberg about the 1,200km South Australian Heysen Trail. The Heysen Trail is one of the Australia's best-known long-distance hiking trails, covering a wide range of environments from the arid north through to the coastal south and almost everything in between. Melanie is the president of the Friends of the Heysen Trail and will provide us with a brief introduction about the trail itself and the role that the volunteers play. Melanie, thank you for taking your time to talk with Australian Hiker. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks. All right. Now, um, before we talk on the Heysen Trail and trail volunteering, can you provide us with a brief overview of your hiking background? Well, my major hiking has been in the last sort of 15 to 20 years, but I dabbled when I was younger. I didn't grow up with camping and hiking, but as an adult, I discovered it and I had a friend who took me overnight hiking in the Victorian Alps and we ended up in the snow (laughs) and I thought, right, I'm not sure if this is for me. So I did a lot of day walking after that, (laughs) but then discovered the Heysen and discovered the absolute joy of getting out overnight and uh, being with nature. So do you have a preferred sort of hike? I mean, you know, do you typically stay to the shorter hikes or you do a bit of everything? I do a bit of everything now, um, but I must admit that that sort of extended hiking period, you know, five days is a delight to get away, to not have to deal with anything except putting one foot in front of the other, enjoying being out wherever you are and getting to your next campsite, setting up and relaxing and not having technology, I have found is just that's my real happy place okay now the heisen trail is well known to keen hikers but newer hikers may not be aware of it can you provide us with a a short introduction on the heisen trail quick overview um it was developed over a number of years but it was finally opened in 1993 so it's been around 
for quite some time. Um, it's an unusual trail in many respects because it traverses everything from national parks and conservation parks and forestry land to some reservoir land and then private land, pastoral country, a bit of road reserve. It's um, a bit of everything, you know. So that's quite interesting for people. It's managed by the government the, through the Department for Environment uh, and then the Friends are the official uh, volunteer group that help look after it. So, yeah, it's quite a quite a complex trail. It's classed as a Grade 4 trail, so it means it is quite difficult, remote in many places. So it'll be a bit, it's not exactly an easy walk from town to town or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and um, uh, the hiking experience, I suppose, uh, you're, you're starting up, um, depending on which end you're starting at, but you're starting up at uh, Parachilna up in the north and, and heading down to, to Cape Jarvis down in the south. Um, so we've got arid land up in the north and, and, and coastal down in the south. Does that sound about right? That's pretty close, yes. Yeah. So it's 1,200 kilometres, so obviously you're going to get some diversity and it effectively runs along the spine of, South Australia through the um, Flinders and Mount Lofty ranges. So you do get a bit of everything. Um, we go from the arid and quite stunning geology of the northern Flinders, then through some more forested areas in the southern Flinders ranges, then through a lot of open land, pastoral and farming country. So you get rolling hills but they're quite can be quite bare and confronting they also tend to have a lot of wind turbines so that gives you an idea of what the walking will be like there you're buffeted by winds on many occasions but then you break into the Barossa region wine region so you can just imagine the shift there to vineyards and that sort of thing Adelaide Hills you get quite close to the city and then after that, head down to the coast with some of the most beautifully wild, rugged coastline and lots of preserved um, nat natural landscape there as well. All right. Now, you're the, the president of the Friends of the Heisen Trail. So what does your role entail? When I first took on the role, the former president advised me that it's what you make of it <laughs> as a volunteer organisation. So it's formally, I guess I would say, the organisational leader of the Friends. Um, I chair the council that manages the finance and policies and priorities of the Friends. Um, and But as the president, you tend to end up also being the principal spokesperson and advocate I lead our liaison with the various government departments, local councils, tourism operators, anything that crops up really. Um, and then for me personally, I have a background in professionally working on strategy, policy, negotiations, networking. So my role tends to go in that direction and consolidating our profile with the department and stakeholders. Okay. Now, let's get on to the specifics of trail volunteering, which is the, the subject for, for today's podcast. 
I think with a lot of people, um, uh, we're used to national parks, which are on the whole government funded and government maintained, and they they will often have small volunteer groups associated. But as you mentioned, you know your your role with the Friends of the Heisen, you are doing quite a lot of work on the trail itself. Can you tell us a bit about um, the role of volunteering in relation to this trail? Just as a, mm. a general overview, and then we'll look at some of the specifics. Yes, yeah, sure. So the Friends formed in 1986 as the trail was being formulated and commenced. So its initial baseline was to help as volunteers in getting the trail laid out and marked. Um, so developing the trail was its core objective, if you like. Um, it's evolved from there. Uh, it continues to be all volunteers and not-for-profit. But now above and beyond um, the general marking, if you like, and the sort of pr protection of the trail in the immediate sense for walkers, the Friends tends to have a much broader scope in its role. We not only look after the basics on the trail, we look at how we can develop parts of the trail, what in infrastructure is needed, how we can improve it. We have established the website where information is about, we are the principal point of information for everything about walking the trail. Yep. We So we run an office with volunteers who manage all of that sort of stuff, talk to people, provide information to people. We have a promotional team of volunteers, at another committee. We also organise walks for our members to help them fall in love with the trail, which then becomes our recruitment base for getting our next load of volunteers through, if you like. Now, in relation to the volunteer, or sorry, in, in relation to the the maintenance, do you have responsibility for maintenance for the entire track, including the sections that are in national parks and reserves, or does the the parks look after that themselves? It's a bit of both. Um, so. When someone is out on the trail and notices there's an issue, the vast majority of reports come to us. So we are the principal contact point. So we kind of manage what's going on and when there are issues. Um, having said that, we work really closely with the department. So there are times where the rangers in a given park will identify uh, perhaps a realignment that's needed more major, major stuff, uh, and they will try and get that done through their own um, resources and or contractors and things like that. But there's a significant part of the trail that goes through. We have over 100 landholders, private land that we go through, road reserves. We deal with 14 different councils, forestry SA and SA Water in addition to the department. So every single bit of the trail has a different complexity as to how it's looked after, which we tend to be mostly involved in working out with whoever happens to own that bit of land. So if, if there's an issue with, say, signage on a, a private landowner's uh, uh, property, sort of, would, you, would that be something that you guys do or is that something that uh, the parks would create a new sign and say, here you go, off, go, go and uh, put this up where it belongs? Um, it's a two-way process. We'll often get the information from the landholder, particularly if there happens to be some concern from a particular private landholder that 
access is being breached, for example, um, they'll get in touch and say, you know, have a chat and suggest them, look, there's a bit of a problem here, uh, we're not happy. So we'll have a look at how best to resolve it. And if it's signage, then we'll work with the department. The department will produce the sign, we'll go out and put them up. Okay, no, that's good. Now, are volunteers responsible for particular sections and, and, and they look after their own section or is it a let's go, let's go out with a group of people and, and do what needs to be done regardless of where it is? Yeah, okay. So we try to have some coordination there. We have a trail development committee made up of volunteers who work on coordinating that all that work. And as I say, we we receive the reports, so we have a database where we can work out what's where the principal problems are on a, the trail at any given time. Um, we also have a volunteer that oversees the infrastructure specifically. We have another volunteer that manages. We have a shed where construction takes place, so we have another volunteer that manages that. So we have volunteers that work in the shed. So the trail is broken into 20, formally broken into 20 sections. Over time, though, we've adapted that a little bit to what's practical and realistic. So, yes, in the southern half, we have what you've described as um, section leaders who will have a team of people that they work with and they'll particularly look after, you know, 30 to 50 to 100 kilometres of trail, depending on the area and the terrain and those kinds of things. Um, they'll get a good feel for what's regularly required as opposed to just some odd thing that crops up where a style may be broken. In the northern section, however, it's much more remote. We've found it harder to find regular volunteers to look after that area. So now we have a project lead who builds up specific areas where something needs to be done and we would then take a team up from Adelaide and work on it. So it's a bit of a mix, really. Yeah, I suppose with given given this a 1,200-kilometre trail, it's sort of, uh, if you're talking about 20 sections, that's what, roughly um, uh, 50-ish, you know, 60 kilometres per, mm -hmm. per section. So it's probably not too bad if you're in, in the Adelaide Hills area, you're fairly close, but... Uh, trying to find people that are, are willing to do work along the way or willing to travel up to a section to maintain something, maintain something may be a bit harder. That's right. And in the northern section, it is also much more likely that vehicle access to the areas you need to get into is much more limited. So it often requires carrying in the posts, the poles, the whatever it is you're doing, um, over quite some distance. So you need to be strong walkers as well as having good handy skills. All right. Now, it's something I haven't actually thought of. Is how many volunteers do you have at the moment? Just to, I know, You may not know the exact number, but just roughly. It's in the order of 150. Bearing in mind we um, manage an office as well as promotional work and dedicated work on the trail. So people are spread across a range of different tasks. But, yeah, somewhere in that order. Okay, and how much, and again, I know this is going to vary depending on where people are working, but how much time do your volunteers sort of dedicate to uh, to working on the trail? Is there is there an average you can think of there? or? Yeah, again, I, I'm sort of mulling over that. We do try to record our hours um, and we're getting better. I think 
the, for the team that work in the shed on the construction, they probably put in 150, 200 hours a year. Our section leaders and teams down south would do anything five to 10 days a year. And then in the north, it's project-based. So people might go away from anything from two to five days at a time. And our volunteers chop in and out, uh, particularly up north and on the infrastructure projects. So, yeah, it's um, horses for courses. A lot of our volunteers are retired, not all. Um, so people fitted around their work or their um, escapes on holidays and all of those kinds of things. Okay. Now, what sort of work do you do? You do? I mean, yeah, you've talked about uh, realignments potentially and you know, putting up signs, but what's the, the range of tasks that's involved in, in maintaining a trail? Okay. So the general trail maintenance would involve clearing vegetation in some areas, um, repairing and replacing posts, markers and styles and signage, uh, installation of platforms, and then at a more of an infrastructure level, over over time we have installed toilets, um, shelters, uh, water tanks. They're more your, you know, one-off here and there. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, I suppose this thing, uh, this you talked about, um, you know, your first experience hiking in the Victorian Alps. Uh, and I know from personal experience there, tree fall is a real issue in the alpine areas. Given that this is a, a bit more arid environment, is tree fall a major issue on this trail or it, it's it's more so in some sections? It's I'd say it's an occasional issue. It's not yeah, it's not not like you'd get in the Alps at, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, we'll often just climb over a tree that may be across the trail. Um, we do have uh, some volunteers trained in chainsaw work if we need to remove a tree. And again, it depends where it is and how challenging it is to get it moved. Um, but you no, know, it's not, I wouldn't say it was one of our number one concerns by any stretch of the imagination. I must admit, you know, as I said, hiking in the Australian Alps, it's always an issue, the, the human hovel track, we had a lot of tree falls there, and this was before the fires. Right. Uh, and, and even the Bibbleman, again, there was some, you know, you're getting some trees that were taller taller than I was standing up just because of the, the size of them and what they'd fallen on top of. So you, you had no choice but to go around quite a, a big distance. So, ah, right, no. I, I think our, uh, conversely, a very big issue for us is bushfire action. Um, many times over the last number of years, we've had to reroute the trail after quite a significant bushfire has been through one of the parks or near the parks or, or the forest up in um, the southern Flinders, for instance. And you'll have a trail that has to be rerouted for two, three years while the forestry or whoever sorts out and rejuvenates the area. Okay. Now, what's, I mean, you mentioned that um, some of your volunteers do have chainsaw skills, but what are, what's, as a general thing, what do, what skills do a, does a trail volunteer need? Oh, mostly lots of energy. I think um, the vast majority of general maintenance work is what I'd call general handy skills. So 
we provide the volunteers with some training in, most importantly, health and safety, um, looking out for each other, looking out for um, risks on the trail, hazards, some of the tracks are narrow, um, you're on rocky surfaces, you're on tricky edges. Um, in the brush cutter, that's probably the other big one that we use, particularly down the southern end where vegetation tends to grow quite a lot more. We'll be cutting back um, acacia, xanthoria, a lot of those kinds of expansive vegetation to keep the trail a little clearer. People will use a drill. And then if we get into our bigger infrastructure projects, you might be doing things like cleaning, sanding, painting, uh, if it comes to serious construction, we tend to engage a contractor to oversee what we're doing. Okay. Um, and in relation to equipment, do the volunteers tend to bring their own gear, like shovels and crowbars, or you, do you have a, a, a stock of that that you're able to let people use? Yes, we're very privileged to have a shed where our team of volunteers can do construction work, and that also and that's provided. Um, courtesy of the Department for Environment and Water, and we're very pleased about that. When it comes to the equipment we use, though, uh, we provide that, the Friends Fund um, electrical equipment. We've got trailers, brush cutters. Um, if we need larger equipment, the Friends pay for the hire of that sort of stuff. Um, we also cover the first aid, satellite phones, four-wheel drive hire if our volunteers need to get into remote areas and fuel expenses all of that comes from our um, funds so volunteers aren't out of pocket so so it's really the volunteers are volunteering their time rather than and you know if, they, if they're not necessarily donating but it's, it's their time is what they're really really doing here that's right and then the friends membership fees and proceeds from our running our walking program feed back into enabling us to fund the equipment and the effort for those volunteers to get out on the trail and do the work. So it's a, a cycle of feeding into each other. All right. Now, you mentioned before talking about you know, there's roughly a, a hundred odd landowners and, and you know, we're talking about landowner relationships. And, and I'm guessing that's probably more in your and the your your field of, of control. But when volunteers are working on on private landowner areas on infrastructure for the trail, what sort of relationship do they tend to have with the landowners? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing there's a, a degree of common courtesy being on someone's property, but um, how does, is there any relationship there at all? Yeah, there is. Um, for first, fundamentally, as you say, there's a, a courtesy common courtesy requirements. So all our volunteers and section leaders liaise with landholders before we undertake any work on the property. And, and that is goes the same for private and parks and forestry. We, we always get in touch with the rangers in advance. Um, you need that for access. You need that um, for safety provisions and common courtesy. But I think our section leaders play a really important role in um, keeping that relationship solid because, as you would appreciate, the um, access to private land is very much under the, 
privilege of a private landholder letting the trail go through. So our section leaders are pretty good at keeping in with them, listening to them if they do have any concerns and issues and bringing them back so we can sort them out. So it's quite vital, I think, uh, to keep the Hyson Trail travelling the direction it is. Um, it doesn't always work. Sometimes <laughs> you have a glitch, but, you know, by and large, um, we also, as an organisation, provide our magazine to all the landholders just to keep them in the loop of what's going on and hopefully keep them happy a little bit more. If we happen to have a group going into into a region to do a specific project for a few days, we'll also organise a community dinner one of the evenings. So we'll invite the landholders and other local community supporters in and we'll have an opportunity to get together and just, you know, keep everyone in the loop and keep them happy. Okay, that's good. How can people become trail volunteers for the Heisen Trail? Mostly we recruit from our membership as they've walked the trail and, like I did, you gradually fall in love with it and become a little bit enamoured by how amazing it is that this 1,200-kilometre trail exists pretty much on the back of volunteers. Um, but what we find is that others, we don't, we'll pick up other people who have also walked the trail, not necessarily with the friends, and they want to give back. So they'll get in touch via our website or email and um, just offer their services. Um, we had an example was a, a person who walked the trail and noticed that one particular campsite he stopped at didn't have a rainwater tank where he could fill up his water. He happened to work in an industry that had some connections. He rang up and said, I'd like to go back and put a water tank in there. Is that okay? <laughs> so things like that are fantastic. Um, another person who just finished recently hiking the trail just rang up and said, I've had a wonderful time. How can I get involved? I want to help you keep the trail going for the next 100 years. So. Uh, and, and, and apart from the volunteering itself uh, or, the, or the, the generosity of putting things like water tanks in, how else can um, people uh, help uh, the Heisen Trail and the Friends of the Heisen Trail? Well, we don't just have um, maintenance volunteers, obviously, because we have an office and a website and social media. We have a finance team. We have a promotional team. So there's a lot of different ways that people can contribute to the Friends in big and small ways, then donations are always welcome. So, we again, we have a donate button on our website. So any funds that come in go straight back into maintaining both the promotion and maintenance of the trail as, a, as we are all volunteers, we're not-for-profit. So, you know, people can be comforted in knowing that, Everything that they give, whether it's their time or their money, goes straight back into keeping this trail going. All right, that's good. Now, one final question. I believe that this is this year is the thirty fifth anniversary of the Friends Group. Yes. Okay, and now what does that mean for you as a group, and where are you heading to from here? Thank you. Yes, look, we do think thirty five years is a big achievement for any volunteer organisation to not just to continue to exist, but to continue to grow. Um, 
certainly in my sort of nearly 15 years now with the friends, I've seen a, a significant change and evolution. And I think what we've, as an organisation and particularly the leadership body on the council, the management council, we've really been looking at the big picture and where's the trail heading in the next five to 10 years. So we've been able to have quite an exciting collaboration with the Department for Environment and Water, and we've got an agreement to get a consultant in to review the whole trail, have a look at gaps and opportunities, what might be possible for us as an organisation in conjunction with the department to do to develop the trail over the coming 10 years. We, we as an organisation have put in a lot of toilets and platforms and tanks in the last 10 years, so how can we build on that? Um, but I'm also very excited because we've already had some good investment from government. So the South Coast, the wild, glorious five-day section, um, we were able to work with a local council and lobby government to get them to invest $6 million in developing new hiker sites along that South Coast. Two are already under construction. So I'm hoping that that's a symbol of what we can achieve in other sections along the trail over the next five to 10 years. And for me, that that will be a very exciting prospect. That's great to hear. All right, so in this interview, we've been talking to Melanie Schoberg from the Friends of the Heisen Trail about trail volunteering. Melanie, it was great to chat. Thank you for your time. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. In our second interview for today, we talked to Graham Hallandale, Funding and Publicity Manager of the South Australian Recreational Trails Incorporated, about the 325-kilometre Lavender Federation Trail. This trail, which officially opened in its entirety in May 2018, was built and in large part is maimed entirely by trail volunteers. And in this interview, we find out a bit about the trail and the role that the volunteers play. Graham, thanks for taking the time to catch up with us. It's a pleasure, Tim. Now, before we start talking on the Lavender Trail and trail volunteering, can you provide us with a bit of a, a brief overview of your hiking background? Yes. Um, I uh, moved to Murray Bridge uh, from Melbourne in 1976, and uh, I had a bit of an interest in aviation, so I originally took up gliding with a local gliding club, and eventually it got a bit too expensive, so I sold my glider, at about the same time, a friend I'd worked with in Melbourne told me about a group of people uh, he knew were going to take a 10-day hike in the Kimberleys and said, was I interested? And I said, yeah, why not? I'll try anything once. I didn't even own a backpack or any gear. <laughs> but um, we did a walk in the Kimberleys um, in 1990 with a... Um, a group called Willis's Walkabout, and I loved it. And uh, the following year, uh, we did another walk of 15 days in 1991 around Kakadu, and uh, off we went. And so following that was Nepal uh, in 1996, and because of work commitments, I did it in winter. Um, I don't think I realised what I was getting into, <laughs> but at least there wasn't a crowd. Um, so we walked from uh, to Kalapatar uh, from Jury, 
and uh, then back to Lukla, and uh, then uh, followed the route burn track in New Zealand and the overland trial in Tasmania uh, over two years in 1999 and 2000. So today my walking's a bit shorter, uh, usually half and one day walks. Um, age is catching up with me, I guess. I'm in my 80s now, but uh, still pretty active. So that's really the background of walking. No, it's good. It's good. Yeah, as you say, it's sort of um, you. You might slow down, or you might do shorter walks as you get older. But I think uh, um, you know anything that keeps you out on the trail is 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 the way to go. Yep, for sure. Many people outside of South Australia may not have heard of the Lavender Federation Trail. Can you please provide us with a bit of a short introduction to the trail itself? Yep, certainly. Uh, there's a bit of an interconnection, really. Uh, People think the lavender bit is the plant, but it's not. There's a connection between the Lavender Federation Trail and the, ba- and the background of the Heisen Trail. And Terry Lavender, with his wife Anne, as they used to class themselves, were a couple of 10-pound poms that uh, came to Adelaide in the 1960s. And Terry had been very much involved in... Uh, outdoor activities in the UK and he took uh, on a job uh, in Adelaide training people for outdoor leadership courses and youth camps and mountaineering and eventually he got a job responsible for maintaining the many hundreds of kilometres of walking trails through the Adelaide Hills and the department he worked for um, he uh, found out that the Heisen Trail had been proposed in the 1960s and in nine years they'd only built nine kilometres. There was a state election coming up and he went with his boss to the state minister in 1977 and said, I'll build you 50 kilometres in three months if you give me the money and the crew to do it. And so with an election coming up, he was given the job. And what happened was, of course, Several decades later, the Heisen Trail had been built under his um, auspices and uh, that, of course, is um, from Cape Jarvis right down near Kangaroo Island, right in the Flinders Ranges, and it's 1,300 k's long. So that was him, finished his main jobs. But a couple of years later, he was in the um, area of Murray Bridge at Monato at a conservation park and he got caught by rain, so he thought, oh, I'll go home to Adelaide a different way. I'll come up the eastern side of the Mount Lofty Ranges. And he thought, oh, it's going to be pretty boring country. There's nothing much here, but he got a bit of a shock. So he thought, wow, there's some damn good uh, walking country out here because I didn't expect uh, what I was going to see. So eventually a plan came about to build a walking trail on the eastern side of the Mount Lofty Ranges. And this developed into a trail from Murray Bridge to Clare. So they held a meeting um, in Adelaide and they thought, we'll call the trail Federation Trail 2001. And they thought, well, we'll build and open the first section in 2001, which will be the centenary of Federation of Australia. And because of the public meeting they held in town and support from the rural city of Murray Bridge, 
they formed a steering committee, and that steering committee um, had its first meeting in June 2000, and it became an incorporated body called South Australian Recreation Trails Incorporated, or SARTI. And the first task was to build a trail for Murrabush to clear. So that's how the thing started. Uh, Terry uh, instilled in that committee uh, that they should route the trail as near as possible to smaller towns and areas where people don't normally access by road. And uh, it'll give a bit of an economic benefit to the area and where possible buy trail materials locally. And those objectives are still, all this time, uh, have been followed. It seems seems to be the way these days when they're building new tra- new, new long distance trails, at least where they try and tie it in with the economic benefit to the local area, just to to get more people through the towns using accommodation and uh, and spending money. Well, that's right. And as the trail progressed, um, a presentation was made to each of the local government areas the trail was going to enter, and totally uh, there are five. And a council representative was added to the SARTI board. So this allowed the government, local government, to be aware of what's happening. And with their representative on the board, gave access to assistance and often funding opportunities. So um, that, that, that was one thing that uh, uh, really, really helped. The big problem occurred in 2004 when Terry... Lavender passed away, and um, his wife Anne had always been involved, and it was decided in his honour because without him nothing would have happened. We'd rename the trail from Federation Trail 2001 to Lavender Federation Trail. So as I said before, the lavender name is the person, not the plant. Anne's actually our patron and she's still a member of the SARTI board and very much involved. So when was the trail officially opened? I think that it, it wasn't really that long ago, was it? Well, no. Um, we had the first public walk. We, we had 150 people uh, walk uh, from Murray Bridge to Monado Recreation Reserve back in September 1999 so that people would understand what we had in mind, and that gave us a lot of volunteers. So we made progress slowly. Funding was very difficult for a start, but we gradually got there. Um, We had a little bit of resistance from the farming community earlier on because they were a bit concerned that uh, people walking adjacent to their properties. Uh, One thing South Australia is really good for is the fact that when it was planned, they planned a series of road reserves. So this was area set aside for future roads. And the people who did it, of course, had a very English background, and I think they thought there were going to be little villages and houses very close. And a lot of these road reserves, of course, unless you've got the right maps, you don't even know they're there, but they are publicly accessible land. But some of the property owners have sort of taken it as their own. They've plant crops on it, it's only fenced on one side, etc, etc. But slowly as we moved the trail on, um, they realised their fears were really ill-founded, that they had people 
watching and they weren't uh, people walking across the countryside on these trails that are uh, going to destroy the land or anything. Um, and public liability insurance was, of course, a bit of a problem, but we actually hold that um, to protect our uh, workers, etc. And uh, quite an expense, actually. It's cost us $1,800 a year. Yep. So we opened the first section in April 2002, and um, from then on, off we went. So... <laughs> What we always did also, before we went into an area, we had a public meeting and we had a PowerPoint presentation. We showed all the local people, invited them all along, both uh, rural, uh, business people, etc. Um, because, uh, and what we found as we went on, uh, people on land were offering their private land for the trail. For example, at Yudunda, um, we had a meeting and um, we had people come from all around the place. By the time the meeting finished, the trial was 10 kilometres longer than we'd planned. <laughs> and in one section, the landowner offered his land for the trial and said, will you give me the infrastructure? I'll build it for you and I'll maintain it for you. That's pretty good. It is. So we finally opened the trial at Clare in May 2018, so it took us 21 years from first conception, and end-to-end, the main trial is 325 kilometres long, and we've also, during that time, built 11 loop and spur trails to nearby towns and points of interest and everything, and they total an additional 150 kilometres, roughly. Uh, now, as far as the landscape's concerned, as, as you said, when I first heard about this trail, I thought, okay, it must go through some lavender farms or something like that. So, you know, now, it, now we uh, know where the name came from. It makes a bit more sense. But what's the landscape like? Uh, uh, you know, and I'm sure there are different types of landscapes on this trail, but just a, a brief overview of what, what people can expect to see. Yeah, the southern section of the trail near Murray Bridge is... Um uh, a fairly low rainfall area, only about half of Adelaide, so it's about 350 millimetres. So it has the advantage of having uh, a much drier, sunny winter days, but fairly cold, clear nights. Um, the land uh, is a bit of a surprise, as Terry found initially, uh, because just outside of Murray Bridge, you go into Rocky Gully, which is in a con- now in a conservation park, and if I put you in the middle of it, you'd probably think I could be in the Flinders Ranges. It's very, very surprising. Um, there are peaks, uh, some with quite good views, 360-degree views. Um, fairly large property, so we're, um, houses are well apart. And as I said, because we um, uh, have um, road reserves, uh, very few of the very small parts of the trail are uh, on roads but uh, across the countryside so there's uh, a lot of old ruined buildings as well and and that's pretty well it what's your role with this trail in particular and i think you've got a slightly broader role but um so what what are, what are you what's you're the funding and publicity manager but for what well pretty much uh, uh, doing several things. One is I am still involved 
and I have been right from those first meetings uh, 25 years ago in uh, the trail. Initially, I was doing uh, just helping Terry. Um, we were pretty well doing everything between us. And then as we got more people on board, I uh, did the funding. So I applied for all the grants with both um, local, state and federal government to enable us to fund the trail and to source a lot of the more specialised equipment we need, trail markers, etc., etc. Um, most of that work's finished, although we still um, update things um, such as first aid kits and whatever. Uh, so it's mostly onto the publicity side, and that's a, uh, a fairly big job. We turn out a free email newsletter called Footsteps that people can get sent to them. And uh, a new one of those, in fact, only went out today, the second for this year. Um, and I still sit on the board and I guess the um, background and assist new groups that are planning to build a trail where they can source materials and uh, whatever. Now let's get on to the specifics of trail volunteering. Uh, now, in many respects, this trail is, is unique, being built and maintained entirely by volunteers. How did that come about? Why, why, why wasn't this a state government uh, or, uh, uh, activity and why, why volunteers? Well, initially, I think uh, there were probably at the time lots of people with lots of ideas, I'm going to build trails, and a lot of it sort of just disappears into nothing. And I guess... Um, uh, naturally, government authorities are a little bit reluctant to start pouring in money and uh, whatever to a, to a concept. And I mean, I guess faced with the fact that here's a group of volunteers are saying they're going to build a trail of 300 plus kilometres, um, I wonder if it'll ever happen. We got initial funding from Murray Bridge Council uh, just to enable us to start, and that enabled us, I guess, to prove that we were really serious about this whole thing. And um, as we got further on, we were able to get more and more funding. But by this time, um, we realised that by using volunteers, it's easy for a group of local people to go to a local landowner and say, there's a road reserve that goes along there, and I know you use it, um, how can we work with you so that we can build a trail uh, across there? And as I said, initially they were a bit reluctant, but as time went on, um, it became a lot of those became really good friends of ours, and they realised that the local communities uh, are benefiting from these people going through. And uh, that's actually resulted in some bed and breakfasts and uh, groups uh, being able to uh, benefit from it. In a little town called Manura, which is uh, a decreasing population right up towards Clare, um, those people now open up their club rooms to walkers and uh, supply them food and uh, a range of accommodation and whatever. But by local people involved in building the trail, I reckon it moved much, much quicker. Um, I've seen examples of the cost of involving 
uh, local government or government people building the trial where they've got to pay people to do it and it moves very, very slowly and it's very, very expensive. I think you're probably right there. I mean, you know, in a lot of cases, people's time is probably the most co- uh, most e- uh, expensive thing. And if if people are willing to donate that, that's often where the biggest savings can be made. How many volunteers are are are, are actively involved with uh, with the trail at the moment? But within the trail maintenance of the whole thing, as a rough guess, I'd be talking probably about sixty uh, odd people, I suppose that. Uh, do their uh, maintenance work. Okay, and what sort of work are they doing? I mean, I know with uh, a lot of the trails that I'm used to in the Australian Alpine areas, tree falls are a major issue. But what sort of uh, what sort of maintenance is is are the usual things that you you tend to have to deal with on a regular basis? Well, tree trees aren't too much of a problem because we're in a, a relatively dry area, but certainly clearing undergrowth and um, uh, fence where fences come down, etc. Making sure that uh, the trail has uh, sufficient signage um, so that people don't get lost. But I, I, we always recommend people use the maps because there are six maps covering the whole trial from end to end. And the uh, other thing is, of course, uh, because we go over a lot of private property and whatever. We have built stiles over fences, even where uh, the farmer may have a gate there. Some of the time that gate might be open for a reason, another time shut because of stock. So we always put in a stile. And would you believe there's over 300 stiles that our volunteers have built and installed on the whole trail? That's, that's, so, a, that's, a, lot, that's a lot of stiles. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of climbing over. When you go through and bring volunteers on, what sort of skills do, do you, are you looking for? Is it just an able body that, that's willing to do the work or you know, do, you, do you like people that have particular sort of skills? Well, most of the... Well, I mean, our volunteers are volunteers and um, uh, we don't seem to have too much of a problem with uh, trial maintenance volunteers because um, as uh, some people feel that they, you know, have done five, ten years of trial maintenance, it's time to step aside. Um, it doesn't seem to be too much of a problem before uh, an, another group will step in. Um, you don't really need too many, I guess, except being a keen walker. And being a keen walker, you you would know uh, whether you would be happy with whether the, the trails maintain and the surface underneath okay. But it's a little bit of clearing and perhaps snipping a few plants back with secateurs, etc. We've got uh, some more specialised equipment if people need it for a particular section, like grass slashes. Yep. And if the uh, a style has somehow gone over or, or something like that, um, or sometimes we have problem where our trail goes through the middle of an area without any fencing, uh, the uh, cattle sometimes find that our posts and signs are really good to scratch <laughs> against. And so in doing so, over they go. So um, in some of those areas, we're actually using, as the transport department does, some flexible posts so that if they lean against it uh, to try and scratch, it just pops back up again. So... Um, yeah, that's the sort of thing it is. But sometimes we, where there's a lot of work to be done, 
the trial maintenance people in that area will ask for extra help and we'll get a big working bee out there and cut out concrete and, and uh, carry stuff and, and do a, a big one-day work uh, effort on one particular section. Now, do, do you expect volunteers to sort of bring their own tools or have you got a, a stash of tools that you can provide in uh, most cases? Each group has a basic toolkit given to them um, with, the, with the basic things they would need. Um, with um, uh, electric drills and screws and uh, hammers and and uh, pruning equipment and that type of thing. So how can people become trail volunteers uh, and, and help out with maintaining this trail and other trails that you look after? I guess the easiest of the lot is just put, a, put something on our website and uh, say that they are interested. Our board of management, Sati, is... Um, stronger than ever, uh, having taken on now several mountain bikers as well because of the amount of trails we're building which are both walking and mountain biking. Um, and uh, the biggest problem with that is because we're spread all over the countryside, getting together for, the, for a meeting sometimes means a two-and-a-half-hour drive to get there. Um, but we swap them all around the place. And... Um, we're always interested in volunteers, but the easiest would be to just put a um, mention on our website. I would say uh, my biggest hint to anybody um, who wants to know more about the um, Lavender Federation Trail is to go on the website because if they're interested in walking it, there's actually a photo journal in order of though you were walking from Murray Bridge to Clare and it's set out under each of the six maps and each section uh, of the six has up to a hundred photos so you know what's going on. There's an access to videos that both Channel 7 and 9 have made that have been on TV programs in South Australia and they're actually stories by walkers that have walked end to end and they've given their information of what they did and where they stayed etc um, and all the accommodation along the trail uh, we've even got some of our accommodation people that do a pick up and drop off service in remote remote areas and some of those you can stay in one location for up to four days and they'll pick you up at a certain point take you back to the accommodation uh, feed you prepare breakfast lunch for you the next day drop you back and on you go and it also tells you where you can get maps, and uh, many of those will actually post uh, out the maps to you. I'll put the links to the Lavender Federation Trail and all the social media on the show notes, so if anyone's interested in finding out more information, uh, they'll, yeah. we'll, we'll provide plenty of opportunity for that. Yeah. My, my final, probably number one suggestion is sign up to our free email newsletter called Footsteps um, that's got news not only of the Lavender Federation trial and other, but all the other trial openings um, that uh, we've had some involvement with right throughout South Australia. And the newsletter that only went out um, as we're speaking to each other today actually uh, mentions uh, uh, a group of uh, trails that have only just opened in the last um, couple of uh, months. Um, the other thing I think that's happened is that the Lambda Federation Trail has connected a lot of what was previously 
separated trails together. We cross over and share a section of the Heisen Trail, um, and also we share and uh, a section of the um, trails through the Clare area. So that's the um, Riesling Trail, which is 35 k's, a Rattler Trail, which is 19, and a Mawson Trail, which is a a cycling trail predominantly, but you can walk it, that's 900 kilometres long. And recently, one of the councils has put trails in going from Clare to the top of York Peninsula. So that's enabled you to walk right through to the top of York Peninsula and travel on the Walk the York Trail, which is a 500 kilometre trail which goes right round the circumference of York Peninsula. So interlinked together, there's around about 2,300 kilometres of walking trail that um, predominantly the Labrador Federation trail is linked together. And of course the Murray-Coorong trail that's under construction from Cadell in the Riverland to Salt Creek on the Coorong, that's being built now, that uses part of the Labrador Federation trail and that's 450k. So there's going to be a lot of walking if you want to come over and decide to walk for most of the year because the trails are all connected together. Now, one final question. Where to next for the Lavender Federation Trail and, and, and the organisation that, you, that you, you work with? We're getting, I guess, the expertise that we've gained over several decades is now being used by a lot of uh, groups um, in different communities that are interested in establishing trials and also by a lot of local governments. We've recently built two trials for the Clare Council that link to the Lavender Federation trial. Um, one is to the National Trust listed Martindale Hall and uh, if you've been around a while you remember the movie Picnic at Hanging Rock that was the building there. And uh, in April, 20 short walks, including the two that we built, were opened. We've assisted um, a group uh, building a trail network called the Clare Valley Wine and Wilderness Trail. Stage one was recently opened by the South Australian Premier Stephen Marshall. When that's completed next year, that'll be a four-day walk. And... Uh, I guess this is a bit of a temptation to a few people. It, it uh, travels between wineries. <laughs> um, so, um, and a lot of private land. The wineries have been excellent. We assisted that group with um, that trail, built the styles for them, and uh, helped them with sourcing some specialised trail equipment. Uh, we built a 27-kilometre trail uh, called the Callington Spur Trial for the Murray Bridge Council last year. That's a multi-purpose trail that uses some existing trails and some new sections. And um, that's uh, a part of trail that uses the main Lavender Federation Trial and I think a rather unique section of the Lavender Federation Trial as well because it passes Monato Safari Park. So... I'm unaware of any other trail in the country where you can see giraffes and bison and Przewalski horses, but you can from uh, the Lavender Federation Trail. That's proved really, really popular. 
uh, we read on behalf of Parks SA a series of electronic counters that they put through there, plus we read them on various sections on our trial, and that particular trial is recording up to 3,500 using that trial each month. That's, that's good. So we, know, we know that that's done very well. And we opened a, a loop trial at Mount Pleasant last year uh, of 23Ks, and uh, uh, last week one of our board members tr went to Kangaroo Island to meet with a group who've uh, approached us, and they're planning a uh, trial around Kangaroo Island. So um, there's a lot of work going on, and we're negotiating too with um, trying to get shelters every 20 k's apart along the whole trail, and that's proving a bit difficult. But the first has been built by Murray Bridge Council near existing toilets and water, and um, two more are in the budget to build in uh, their council area, and they will have um, water uh, with a tank and also uh, hopefully toilets as well. All right, that's so, good. Yeah, we're, we're still very, very much active and we're still being approached by groups. Uh, sometimes nothing happens. They uh, realise that uh, it's probably going to be a harder job than they think and they just sort of um, peters away. But it's uh, we thought our work had finished, apart from maintenance, when we finished the trial three years ago, but it's busier than ever. No, I think that's always the thing. There's always, there's always improvements that can be made and... And if, if, if the funding is available and you can upgrade, it's always a good option. Yep, for sure. Okay, so we've been talking with Graham Hallandell from the Lambda Federation Trail about volunteering. Graham, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Okay, so in those two interviews, we talked about the Heisen Trail and the Lavender Federation Trail. And we had Melanie and Graham representing their respective trails there. Um, and I must admit, I was always aware and have been aware of volunteer uh, groups and trail volunteers uh, before, but I don't think I quite realised the extent of the role that they play. Yeah, it's quite driving, isn't it? I mean, it's very, it's not just influential, but it's 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 in the conceptualising, the creation and then the ongoing management. Yeah, so if you look at, say, the Heisen Trail, um, this is a trail that runs through some national parks and state forests, but it also runs through private land. And in that respect, um, the National Park Service isn't going to be able to uh, propose something like that. Yeah, that's um, right. It, the proposals can come from government, uh, but in a lot of cases – the drive was through groups of really enthusiastic walkers uh, making proposals and then seeking support from government and private landowners to get to that sort of extent. Same with the Lavender Federation Trail. Again, this was a proposal that came from volunteers uh, with the entire trail being built by volunteers as well. In the building of these trails, I'm, I'm not saying that the state governments aren't doing their or aren't fulfilling their role. Uh, and in fact, you know, when you look at what the South Australian government is actually doing, they are building a number of new trails already. But that's but, in national parks, yeah, isn't it? Their, fo yeah. their focus tends to be on state land or crown land, uh, not on private land. So it's 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 up to, particularly with the long trails, uh, to get the community involved in this process. Um, 
The other thing is from a maintenance perspective. So again, I'll, I'll refer back to um, uh, Melanie here only because it does include, uh, the Heisen Trail does include uh, government land as well. She was saying that the website, uh, quite often a lot of faults or uh, issues or problems with the trail tend to be reported through that website uh, and then they'll pass that knowledge on either to their own maintenance teams or onto the the, the government uh, teams as well to say there's an issue that they need to deal with. Yeah, and, and that makes sense really because it becomes a, a point of uh, focus um, for interaction um, about the trail and so, you know, I guess people rightly assume that if – I forward some information that uh, something's not quite right or something's doing well, it'll get to the right people. So when you think about it, um, the both of those trails, the narrative was very similar. Uh, they uh, have a web presence uh, and in both cases their websites, the Lavender Federation Trail website and the Friends of the Heisen Trail website really are the prime resources for walking these trails. Uh, and if you want to go through and um, do them, you know that is your best starting point to work out what other resources available. They will also have people that you can talk to, uh, and quite often you'll get people who man the phones or are, are going to respond. Person the phones. Person the phones. Yes, that's right. Or to answer phone calls. Um, yeah, they're often going to be people who are keen walkers themselves and in many cases have actually walked each of these trails. So they can be very specific in providing their knowledge to you. It's a wealth, it's absolutely wealth of knowledge, isn't it, that they would have? So, yeah, we've got the websites, we've got the contacts through email and uh, through phone. Uh, many of these trail organisations will also provide uh, or run other services as well. They'll either have... Uh, run sessions on how to do long-distance hikes uh, or they'll actually uh, run hikes that, you know, in segments will often take you through the entire length of the trail. And when you think about that, I mean, it's a great way to, you know, not just experience the trail um, but improve your skill and to um, de- developing your your interest in hiking um, and, you know, doing it in a very safe way because you're going along with People with lots of experience. And I think you know, something that just occurred to me is in many respects, really both of these groups are almost bushwalking clubs that are focused on specific trails. They have the resources, they have the ability, they have the experience to, to give you all the information and help you do what you're doing, um, but focusing on one specific trail rather than saying, well, let's go and do a number of trails. Yeah, and I think you know that's lots of opportunity for people to get involved as well. So... You know, uh, you know these are volunteer organisations, and um, you know they uh, would never knock back any <laughs> helping hand in of any kind. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a great opportunity to to think about not just uh, these two trails, but what's happening in your local area, and and, and getting involved in some of those um, trail specific groups that are near you. Now, both of these groups um, will greatly appreciate help that can be given. I mean, and the obvious one is donations. Uh, that's always a good one. And I was interested uh, in talking to Melanie. She was saying that someone who did the trail 
discovered that there wasn't a water tank in a place they would have liked one. Uh, they worked within an industry that was uh, amenable to it. So they said, are you happy if I put up a water tank? In oh, that's location? beautiful. That is just beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that that's the sort of thing that works really well. So, you know, it may not be just straight out cash donations, but, you know, providing resources will certainly be appreciated. Yeah, and obviously if you've got a great idea, if you do, do happen to um, – you know, have experienced the trails, um, contact them with your great idea and work with them and, and see what you can do. I mean, even even the most basic of shelters does cost cost quite a lot, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and they've got to be funded from somewhere. Partly, it's through membership fees. You know, I'm sure they uh, both of these uh, organisations do get some money from government, but there is a limit. So I this suspect is, it wouldn't be a lot. No, so this is where the uh, private help would be a, be of a great assistance. The other thing is also the, the provision of time. Uh, and again, both organisations had a range of volunteers. So some people who did trail maintenance, who physically got out and repaired trails. And when you think about when you walk along a trail, it does, doesn't magically be flat all the time. Um, <laughs> somebody has to go through and do that, and particularly when there's been floods or fires go through. Uh, you know, There's a bit of a repair work that needs to be maintained to, to keep the trail looking good. Um, another comment that Melanie made on the Heisen Trail is that some of the things that the uh, the volunteers do is prune back the the grass trees. Uh, seems like a really odd thing, but um, if anyone's ever walked through a, an area of grass trees, typically the sharp and spiky spines mm-hmm. of the greenery is almost always up around about face level. Yeah. And if you've ever stabbed yourself in an eye in your eye with one of these things, it's not pleasant. So, yeah. um, I, I thought it was quite odd the first time I saw this thing, and then I realised, ah, oh, yeah, that's uh, I wouldn't like to get that in my face or in my eyes. So we were um, hiking on a trail recently, and uh, uh, it wasn't one of these trails. And the the friends had obviously been through doing a little bit of pruning, and um, uh, you know, given. Given our background um, in plants, uh, we were a little bit entertained by the three inches of um, soft foliage that was pruned <laughs> off along the way because, you know, it really wasn't encroaching that much on the trail. But anyway, <laughs> so, yeah, that's probably one extreme that you, you need to avoid. The other sort of volunteering time is, is office staff. So people responding to emails, answering phones, uh, you know, sending out products. So both of these organisations do actually sell maps and guidebooks for each of their respective trails. Uh, so you know, somebody has to go through and package those up and process those. So you know, if you don't feel you're up to the physical side of things, um, being in an office, even if it's just for a few hours a week, uh, can is often a big help. I think it's it's really. My comment that I made early on in this, uh, in the introduction to this podcast, was the trail volunteers for not just these two trails, but for so many trails around Australia, do so much work that we, as the people hiking these, do not tend to notice. We know that somebody does some maintenance work somewhere. We just tend to assume it's the government that does it, mm-hmm. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and in many cases, it's unpaid volunteers either assisting the government or doing it on trails that aren't actually government trails. So, um, you know, it's the sort of thing that um, next time you go through and walk a trail, have a think about the work that's gone into it and who's likely to have done that. Yeah, and be really appreciative and uh, take care of the trail yourself. I think the other thing that these trails do as well, and, and thinking about some of the comments that Graham made, 
his comment was that they've been asked to go over to Kangaroo Island and looking at a a long distance trail around the island, and that would be a spectacular trail. Uh, you know, we've already got the Kangaroo Island Wilderness Trail, which um, is being be, being rebuilt uh, as the the vegetation regenerates. Uh, but to, to get a trail that goes all the way around the island um, would make for a trail a number of hundreds of kilometres long uh, and it would in greatly increase the tourism mm-hmm. uh, to an island that had a lot of damage uh, and it's a way of getting money back into the economy again. So. And, you know, that coastline is just amazing, so that would be an absolutely awesome uh, experience as well. Okay, now one final comment I'd make here is if you go to the show notes for episode 187 on the Australian Hiker website, um, we've got links to both these organisations um, and the result resources they provide. Uh, we've also got some images uh, of volunteers doing work and some of the images from the trail as well. Uh, so it's uh, it's a chance to sort of see some of the things that we've been talking about uh, in the flesh, if you like. Okay, we hope you've learned a lot about trail volunteering in this episode. Uh, I've been hiking for a number of years, and while I knew a lot of what went on, I certainly learnt uh, some things that I didn't realise that trail volunteers are actually responsible for. So, um, you know, if you have the opportunity, if you have the time, uh, volunteer to go and help out um, or volunteer some money or some resources if you're able to assist in that way. That's all for this week. Bye for now. And bye from me.